The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. Good afternoon, everyone. We welcome you again to Medjinomics with our host, a friend of Medjugorje. Well, we see the days of what it used to look like before God was going to do something. The parallels. The sentiments of the people. Many disillusioned. Indecisive. And not because they're not even capable of making decisions, mostly because they don't know what decisions to make. It's utterly amazing the solutions that's put forth to remedy our problems. I'm often shocked, really, how few people get it. I'm not speaking about people who don't know God or people who don't believe in God or people who don't go to church. I'm speaking of the church. We're all looking to the election. This will solve our problem. If we can take the, the presidency, the houses of Congress, our solution is going to be solved. 
Nothing will solve our problems when there's a recognition and honesty of self of the culture that where it is in front of God is positioned with God is under judgment. There's no reversal of what's coming. Our Lady has said that. You can't avoid the secrets. You can pray. You can fast. And you can mitigate them. But even with the mitigation and the lessening of everything that's coming, it is still being tolerable to souls who stand against God, to souls who stand in the middle with God. Only by following the lady's messages, her guidance, and what it is she's telling us to do, can it be that you know decisions to make for the future to be where God wants you to be at that moment? Joan, you got your story? It, this is, comes from um, the book, The Collapse of the Common Good. For over a hundred years, we have been erecting elaborate systems designed to avoid human judgment. Objective criteria would provide neutrality and uniformity. But objective systems exclude the context and lack the illumination of human perception. That's why they fail. No system of law nor any organizational system can succeed unless humans have primacy over ultimate judgments at every level of responsibility. Only humans make things work, applying their beliefs, instincts, and experience to applicable guidelines. Humans will either succeed or not. Humans, not any objective system, must be the focus of any structure of government. All the legal protections erected to avoid human authority, the right to bring a lawsuit for almost anything, the detailed rights of the civil service system and teachers' unions need to be overhauled or dismantled. Viewing every social choice through the narrow perspective of individual rights is a utopian fantasy that has produced a society scared of its shadows and mired in legal bickering. Taking off the blinders won't be easy. Isn't individual rights what freedom is all about? But letting individuals use legal power against others' free choices, as we've seen, is a funny way to run a free society. With every dispute, law puts a magnifying glass on the one complaining party, leaving only a small and distorted image of everyone else at the edges. Who's protecting us? Freedom, it turns out, is not just an individual concept. Our own freedom is intertwined with everyone else's. Every decision about one person affects another person nearby. The secret to freedom is that each person must be able to freely choose, equal to the scope of his responsibility, or else all lose their authority to act on their beliefs. Americans feel they have lost the distinction between right and wrong, Alan Wolf found, and desperately want it back. Our moral compass is broken, not because we need indoctrination, 
but because our beliefs require affirmation of right and wrong. If anyone can get away with almost anything, whether in a school or a courtroom or a bureaucracy, then what are we supposed to believe? Our freedom, even our values, hinge upon the authority of those with responsibility to make common choices. For decades, leaders have sought to restore American character and good sense by returning responsibility to local citizens. Robert F. Kennedy in 1966 observed that the modern organizations, particularly government, are so large and powerful that individual effort and importance seem lost. Kennedy said, Bigness, loss of community, organizations, and society grown far past the human scale, these are the besetting sins of the 20th century, which threaten to paralyze our capacity to act. Therefore, the time has come to bring the engines of government fully under the control of the citizens. Ten years later, Ronald Reagan called for an end to giantism, for a return to the human scale, the scale that human beings can understand and cope with. It is this activity on a small human scale that creates the fabric of community. How'd you find that story? I was looking in your bookshelf this morning. <laughs> Pretty interesting. I walked in the studio, and it's always wonderful to see how the Holy Spirit works. And I was discussing about we're under judgment, and you have a story about judgment. The book we're finishing, or really actually has finished, is really about that. And also, the bigness, giantism. This is antiquated. Just like any old structure that you repair and you repair, it comes a time when you have to demolish it. I wrote back in the early 90s, the rebuilding of the church. I think it's on the site. You could probably find it somewhere. I think it may be on the special writings or something. But in that, it talks about the rebuilding of the church. It's very potent to our time now where we are. But eventually, the landmark, the Empire State Building, will have to be torn down. comes a time where Basically, things become irreparable. And when you arrive at that point, after 236, 237 years of this nation, what's taken over is not just a rebuilding, not a renewal, not an overhaul, but a complete destruction of what is to have something new of what it used to be. So it's not necessarily a going away. But we're going to see life change as we know it. And it's true, as this story talked about. People don't know what's right or wrong anymore. The lines of distinction is not clear. Is it wrong to this way? Is it wrong to live that way? People sit in the church pews doing things that they shouldn't even be going to communion for. Thinking it's no big deal. We're not speaking of sin. We're speaking of the 
lack of recognition of what sin is. The remedy is confession and run to it and making a promise not to come near to that occasion again. So it's not like, oh, I can sin, I'll just go confession. I can go commit this and steal something and just go to confession for it. I can commit adultery and go to confession for it. You change those things. I cover the neighbor's goods. It's happening by all the city governments everywhere right now. Through Agenda 21, through the zoning rules. And people sit on city councils, and there's no right or wrong with this. In fact, they would be amused if you stood up in front of the councils and said, you're covering my land. You're saying it's a green zone. I can't build there. This is stealing. This is thievery. Because the government doesn't make it any different. That, okay, they're not breaking the commandment. But if I impose something on my neighbor, forcing him that he couldn't build on areas where he wanted to on his land, because I want to claim it as a green zone, he fought me over it. Why would he fight me over it? I don't have any right to do that. Well, neither does the government. It's your property. The lines of grayness have none. Everything is gray from the most extreme side of right to the extreme side of wrong. Everything is gray. Where is the line? We don't know anymore. And that's what I always come for, to get a soft fence. We in the community have been taking a few days off to give everyone the opportunity to read a friend of Medjugorje's book, They Fired the First Shot, 2012. It's uh, on the presses as we speak and hopefully finished printing by early tomorrow morning. That's the goal. But um, we've been getting uh, the reactions of the community members uh, all week. And they've said that, that every book that a friend of Medjugorje has written, that they've had somewhat of a clue as to what is the content in the book. This is the first book that they really had no idea what was going to be uncovered. And so they've had the the full gamut of reaction that and the back of the cover of the book um, speaks about going all the way from the depths of despair and hopelessness to rising up out of that to seeing a solution, something that no one has seen. Um, it's a revelation, really, that our Lady has given a friend of Medjugorje uh, that, that fully connects to her plan of Medjugorje, to our founding as a nation, and America's role in bringing freedom and liberty to the world. And uh, the, the excitement that is generated from this book has just um, really lifted us up, those who've been in behind the book um, and working all these months. Um, to give us a, just a little bit of a clue as to what your reaction will be when you receive it yourselves. But a friend of Medjugorje said that he felt he was born to write this book. Um, and so I don't know what you'd like to respond to to their reactions. Well, I said that off the cuff. That's one of the reasons I was born, though. <laughs> In other words, is to make it to heaven. But it's a relief to get it over with. A lot of it's Very intense writing, very difficult in in the sense of I really felt the Holy Spirit showing me what to do, which was very easy to understand when the Holy Spirit gives it to you. And very easy to write it down. And then the next day, go back to what you wrote down 
is not what you said the day before. And I know Maria has often said that the message, once she writes it down and looks at it later, as she writes it, she's understanding it, it's not the same thing she got from her lady. And so it's very difficult to transmit into language something of God because when you're writing it, meaning between each word that you write and the origin of that inspiration is all there in the freshness of it being given. When you read it the next day, those things are gone and you get disgusted with yourself. This is not what I wrote. So what I wrote explained from the Holy Spirit, maybe in five days, or five, five words, you have to add more in-betweens to make it understand for the people who are going to read that. And it turns into ten words. So it's difficult to do that. And you've got to be careful not to put yourself in it. French theologian Father René Laurentin talked about Father Gobi, who has been here. We've met him uh, when he was alive. I met with him several times. I knew it wasn't my calling, which he's, his calling was interlocutions for the priesthood. What was it called? My call uh, for the priest. I think it was called to the priest. I don't remember the exact name of it, but nevertheless... Father René Laurentin, we was meeting one time in France, and, and uh, Father René Laurentin has been here. And we were friends. He's still alive, though very elderly. He said that interlocutions are often not completely what it is Maria would be getting. In other words, it's clear when it's been given to the individual, like Father Gobi, but it comes out not as clear. He says the explained example would be that a rusty pipe, clear water going through it, comes out with rusty water. And so you have to look at that in that sense that how much is Father Gobi and how much is the Holy Spirit or the interlocution. And so it is with this. You have to be careful not to be adding yourself into it. And that's one thing I've always tried to be real clean about. So you want to say what you need to say in as few words and as clear as possible. And if necessary, you need to be repetitious to make sure that point of what those are given is clear with clarity. That there can be no misunderstanding to it. And there was many instances in writing this it was that way, which is very stressful. How can the Holy Spirit make you stressful? It doesn't. It's clear from Him. It's clear when you can't convey it. So in the writing of this, there's things that I learned even as I writ, writ, wrote the book, and I feel um, it's a complete book. It's, we're doing actually a pre-edition because there's some things that I still haven't finished in the book. But we knew because of that time frame we're in, what's happening in the next two months, we needed to get it out. So we put on a press as fast as we could, 7,000 copies, and most of those are gone, really, for sold, pre-sold. And we'll be starting on another version. The second version is what you'll really go by. The first version is what the community read. Actually, they read a pre-version of that. And I was corrected as they were reading it. So it's just some refinement, fine-tuning. The basic will be in that. And so I think people will be excited. I think people will be grieved. I think, as you talked about, people will be moved to hopelessness. And you need to walk through this book in that sense, as it unfolded to me as it has unfolded through 25, 30 years with Our Lady. Page by page, starting with the forward, reading the first page, and you'll hurt yourself. you hurt the reading of it and its impact to do anything otherwise. 
And we've seen the gamut of the slower readers, the faster readers, who come and get depressed this whole week, and to the end who are excited. I know we got our technician here, Tony's smiling. You want to see your comment about the book? <laughs> Go ahead and give a comment about it. I'll give you outside. You got, you got your mic. <clears throat> Riaz, of course, is in Medjugorje. Tony's been running the board. They asked me if uh, one to ten what it would be, and and I said uh, a ten plus. Uh, it it gives you an explosion in your head, basically. So that's all you want to say. That's all I want to say. I'm just okay. hidden in the corner in the studio. I don't talk. I know somebody told me about a week ago. They played a joke on Frank, who's online right now with us, that they'd already gotten the book. And they said, Frank really got angry. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know we know that story, huh? I didn't know. He no, said I didn't start, know. But he said you yeah, started... He was kidding, with, he was kidding with me. I go, you're kidding he, me. He said you started stuttering and you started slobbering. And, and, <laughs> no, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> not according to him. So what happened? Uh, it's funny. So what happened when he told you that? Oh, I just said, I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him. I just knew, I knew it wasn't possible. We're too close for that. I mean, yeah. you know, I tried to I tried to buy some of the chapter from Joan with Silver, and she wouldn't sell out. So. <laughs> well, we'll FedEx you a copy tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I can't wait. A lot of people are asking me to speculate on what's trying to force me to speculate on what's written, and I can guess, but I, I'm probably like the community. I'm probably not close. Well, 2020 ABC, Rob Wallace and I are good friends. He's been the main producer there for years. We got close in 88. We were born same time, same day, same day, same time, actually, almost. And uh, we hit it off in the end of the 80s when we did a doc two documentaries on Medjugorje, one with Martin Sheen. We worked a year with him. And uh, I worked with Rob on things before he walked away from television, but we still keep in contact for audio, things that we might produce. And... Um, he told me after he does a 2020 piece that he, uh, I asked him back then, do you, do you go home and watch it? He said, no, he's so disgusted with it, he don't want to see it. And I'm not saying I'm disgusted with the book, but I don't want to see it right now. I want to get, just get away from it. It's too intense. So, Frank, what's happening in the silver market? Well, there's, there's a lot happening in the economy. A, a lot of people have called this week with concerns with things that are in the news, uh, you know, a greater, decrest, uh, greater recession at the end of the fourth quarter and Governments won't bail out the uh, the financial system this time. Of course, uh, George Soros, who was um, selling at the top of the market in April, now has um, announced that he's bought gold and, and uh, sold all his financial holdings and all the financial institutions. And, you know, billionaires do this a lot to signal where they're positioned to um, get, you know, uh, people on their side of the investment. But I, I think that w it was inevitable in terms of gold and silver, and particularly silver. I think we're either there at inventory shortages. Well, I believe we're there. But at some point, with silver, someone asked me today, well, doesn't silver go down when the stock market goes down? Not necessarily. When it's being manipulated, it goes down, so it won't be chosen as an investment, so it won't panic people out of paper. But silver's finite. You have to remember this. And if people didn't hear last week's show, you should go back to it and really uh, pray about these finite numbers. They're, they're supernatural. And this can't last. At some point, physical trumps paper. Paper can't manipulate a, a physical market forever. 
eventually, and I don't know how it's lasted this long, by the grace of God is the only explanation, that we're able to do what we're doing still. And uh, But the physical nature of this market, there'll be physical inventories. There, there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to slow down the buying demand for physical silver. And so this is just, this problem's going to be greater and greater until it just completely decouples with the paper market. And, you know, this is, you know, why we want to take advantage of this and not procrastinate. People that are saying, you know, I'm going to wait till it gets to 25 and buy, and if it doesn't, I'll buy it when it was over 30. Well, it went over 30 in Asia. It's at, at 31 right now. And uh, there, there's still tons of money on the sidelines. Your, your traders have switched sides. It looks like, you know, technically the uh, correction's over, and and we could get moving very fast. The things that are supposed to happen, like a retest or these type of things, may not happen depending on how tight the physical market is. So, um, I was thinking today when I when I listened to this scripture that we've been encouraged to read every Thursday and. Well, very grateful to um, to Fred of Medjugorje and the community for Medjinomics, even though I'm involved in it. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous grace for the church today. And it's a tremendous grace. Our Lady knew we had to hear these verses over and over and over again and read them over and over and over again to start to penetrate. But to me, what I heard today is very simple. And God's way is very simple. And God desires freedom, and tyranny is a temporary situation that doesn't last. And so think about these things in, in terms of how you prepare, because um, biblically preparing is, is very necessary now, and uh, and we should have a, a very much a sense of urgency with uh, preparedness. Well, I think the story today shows, uh, while it's good, it's, it has the, the systematic problem that we're facing is that the, the solutions that people keep coming up with are, are the things they identify that we're sick because of this or sick because of that is a symptom. We're not sick because you, you're nauseated or we're not sick because you have a headache. What's, what's, that's a symptom of something. What, what's causing it? Is headache caused by stress? Are you nauseated because of something you ate? We need to identify what is the problem? And that's where everybody's missing the boat. And that's why ladies come on this world and will come in a little bit, or rather come today, uh, in her apparition on this boat that's floating through the universe to tell us your problem is sin. Your problem is you haven't put God in the first place. And if you want to fix it, it's not going to be through quantitative Easing. It's not going to be through silver. It's not going to be through gold. In fact, it's not going to be through anything except standing before God and He's smiling down upon you that He remedies your problems and your difficulties and the scenarios and the spiderweb you put yourself into. Which I say that in the context of we. Sometimes I say you, people say you, what about you? Well, we changed our life 25, 30 years ago. We've been doing Medjugorje 25 years hard, full-fledged. We've run into the battles. We've done everything we wanted, we're supposed to do. We're sinners. We fail. We have human weaknesses. It's all part of it. 
But we recognize sin for what it is. And this is what this culture is not doing. Everything's gray. Everything's okay. It can be right according to this condition. It can be wrong because of the other condition. I know I was reading about a big fanfare about one of the uh, guys running for governor, or rather, I think it's the Senate or something, or in uh, Missouri. And I read a piece somebody gave me yesterday about that, what he said, and everybody's going crazy over it. And I understand why he said what he said. And people don't have the wisdom to see what this guy was trying to say. I don't have to know everything else. And very few people understand that. People might get mad at me, like, you know, because everybody's on this guy. But people don't understand wisdom anymore. What was the meaning of what he was trying to say and convey? Was reinterpreted to mean something horrible for the pro-life movement, horrible for the women's shelters, horrible in Annapolis for everybody else. But what was he saying? It's not what everybody is saying he said and what he meant. What, what was his mean? He's got a right to interpret that. And then he went on to ask forgiveness. Where's Christian forgiveness? Instead, he said, oh, he's got to be thrown out. He's got to quit. We don't even know what's right anymore. We don't know what's wrong anymore. And so people can judge me for even saying that. Let it be so. But if you look at it through our lazy eyes, if you look at it through what Jesus did when he saw it, Peter, get behind me, you devil, you Satan, and he forgave him after that. This man didn't even say something like that. There's a lot more meaning behind why he said what he said. But because everything's gray and everything's un- misunderstood and the devil hates anything that might lead people to think something more of what is behind his meaning, they don't want you to discover those things. So we live in a, a day and time of falsehood, untruth, no clarity, no ability to see. And anybody speaks something that could lead to something true that need, maybe need to investigate it, and now that comes against you. Let it be so. Truth in the end wins out. Okay, is there anything else you want to say, Frank? Yeah, just um, call us if uh, you have any questions about anything that's, uh, that's said on the show. Uh, we're here to help you. That's what we're here for. And uh, we take very seriously our role in our ministry. So um, you can reach us toll-free, 877-936-7686. And you can reach us online at globalsilverinvestors at yahoo.com. And our website is globalsilverinvestors.com, and that has that information also. And okay, so the 25th is uh, after tomorrow, and that's when we'll see you again. We love you. We wish you our lady. Goodbye.
The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional.